You're listening to the Northeast Roundtable Podcast, your weekly podcast about theology and the Christian life. Well, welcome to episode 110. Wow. And this is the last episode. Not forever. <laughs> for this week. Let's wait for to this see week. week. <laughs> but we started this we started this little podcast uh, two years ago. And wasn't it three. longer? It's got to be three. Three years ago, and Corlin yeah. didn't work at the church, and Cameron wasn't an elder. And now this is the last episode of Corlin working at the church, and that's it. And <laughs> Cam's still an elder. <laughs> so uh, thanks for tuning in. And my name's Andrew. With me, as always, for now, is Corlin. Hello, hello. <laughs> and Cameron. Good morning, everyone. But uh, yes, if you did. And who was it that caught my... Was it... That was Tyler. It was Tyler. When Shout out to like, Tyler. With us as always is Corlin, and you went for now. <laughs> Just the, <laughs> the Sunday before the announcement. Good catch, Tyler. Good catch. Good catch, Tyler. Um, and also special special shout out to Trinity North Plumbing and Heating. Yeah, for today's episode is brought to you by Trinity <laughs> Covenant. No, no, the uh, plumbing and yeah. I don't know. I'll read my invoice. Thank you so much for. Uh, the emergency replacement on my hot water. <laughs> Some people are listening are like, just get to the episode. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, he bought us coffee mugs. He deserves a he shout did. out. He did. That's true. So, and coffee to for go. For all your plumbing and heating needs, check them out. Trinity. And they have a Christian name. Or a Matrix name, depending on yeah. <laughs> depending on your world. Or there's three bosses and no one knows who's in charge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's... It's Tyler, <laughs> Jamie, which, which and the accountant boss, mom. <laughs> Whose boss do I call? Doesn't matter. We're all one. <laughs> Right on. Uh, All right. We have speaking a, of poor let's th- focus. theology. Speaking <laughs> of poor theology, great segue. Uh, we have an interesting episode today. So we ha- we want to talk a little bit about our Bibles and uh, where we got them from and how we read them. I'm going to just read. I mean, Cameron sent us a few bullet point thoughts. Maybe I'll just read them. We'll get to the slavery question at the end. But he said, why would God allow for some books of the Bible to be anonymous? or for their authorship to be contested or argued. And then the next kind of point was, First Peter was reportedly sent to many churches. Why do you suppose that other letters weren't also? There is no indication that other churches would have received the same instruction. We can only assume that Paul shared it in person on his missionary journeys. And then the next part of that is like, we understand that some of the letters written by Paul were possibly pseudo... What, what is that word? Pigraphical. Pseudo-pigraphical. <coughs> So done after the death of the original yeah. author and with Does others. Does this yeah. impact the authority they have? Uh, yeah, so I, be, I guess like the big picture question is, yeah, how do we navigate some of these, I don't want to say issues as if like. I feel like issues is sure. a fair word for what people yeah, view like them as. Some, some letters, you know, uh, the. Famously, the letter of Hebrews. We're not a hundred percent sure who wrote that. Some people say, "Oh, Paul did." Some people say, "We don't know." Who I don't wrote think it. we're fifteen percent sure who wrote it. No, I think some people just say, "Ah, let's just attribute it to Paul because sounds Paul-ish." So, um, and, and then yeah, some letters are sent in, you know, to a bunch of different churches. Some letters are sent to one person. Like, what? How do you make sense of why are those in the Bible and why are other letters not? Like. The one that I find fascinating is 1 Corinthians is actually not even the first letter that we have to the church. There's another that, letter that we're aware of. We don't have the other first letter. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like yeah. Paul references, hey, this other letter, and they had written him back. So there's two letters that 
Paul wrote, and then they so wrote back. First Corinthians is actually one point five Corinthians, or Second Corinthians, and Second Corinthians is Third Corinthians. It's like Lion King one and a half. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and there was a Third Corinthians <clears throat> uh, written and submitted the uh, Third Epistle, uh, and it just didn't meet the canon uh, criteria to be yeah. added to Scripture. But it's still a live document that you can download and read. So I guess like there's a bunch of questions here. Like, how did we get all of these letters in the New Testament? Um, how were ones chosen and ones weren't like, how did, what was the criteria, I guess? And is it scandalous? I guess that's the big question. Like, should it worry us that we go, Oh man, like, you know, at the end of this letter, it says that some other guy wrote it. Paul didn't even write this. He just kind of dictated it. Like, what if the, you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know where you want to start, but that's like a whole can of worms. Like, what do, how do you make sense of this? And is it scandalous? Is it? Right. So I guess I'd like to preface because the ideas kind of flowed through uh, a working kind of think group that um, exists. And there's several, but they ask some elementary questions that push back on our um kind of like the common thread or theme of the way we believe or interact with the scripture. And we've covered this a few times throughout the, the life of the, the podcast mm-hmm. on how to read the Bible and, and how um, not to. But I think it's still popping up and, and it may be anecdotal, but like I, I have spoken with individuals who still will like lay down and die on a hill on a topic in scripture that is... Uh, written like it's black and white it's there without any consideration of context time who um, revelation is a great one uh, because this futuristic view that so many people have now and you can go on any facebook thread and if it's an evangelical christian thread you likely have a few comments like see it's happening it's happening right now it's unfolding before our eyes and this kind of notion yeah. And then, but giving no consideration to, well, what would those first hearers understand? Or like, how would they interact with that scripture? Yeah. It was written to them. Yeah. So like we, we st- not steal, but we, we take scripture and we make it for us. But, um, so it's just a good question then like, okay, well then why are some letters so obvious and so uplifting yeah. and so meaningful and purposeful and others are like, here's a thought and you don't really know what that thought was for. So just a good time to scale back and say how were this collection of letters compiled and who got to influence that. And yeah. I know for me originally I thought like, okay, 50 people in a room and they hash it out like a, you know, like a union bargaining over a weekend, right? <laughs> and they come out uh, where it's really not that at all. No. Yeah, I think so. I think the one of the primary views a lot of Christians have is this idea that, okay, how we got our Bibles is... Um, you know, Peter and Paul and other writers became like possessed by the Holy Spirit. And then, you know, they go into like this trance like state where they're writing out. Yeah, this is God's words and they're writing these things out. It's like it's like the Holy Spirit is kind of controlling their hand. Right. As the I always think of liar, liar, the scene where he's trying to get the pen to write and he's grabbing his own hand and making the pen. write. Like we have that idea of the Holy Spirit kind of forced Paul mm. or Peter to write and then, like you said, it was like this perfect thing where they gathered all these are clearly the books and then they kind of stapled all the pages together. Mm-hmm. And here's our Bible, right? And it, 
it's like the floated down from heaven kind of thing. Here's the complete word of God. And I'm obviously exaggerating, but I think lots of people like legit think that, that there, there are no, you know, spelling mistakes in the early manuscripts. There was no arguing about which books mm. went in or yeah. not. It was just this perfect floating mm-hmm. down from heaven. And now it's perfect kind of thing. When in reality, it's like the exact opposite of that. Yeah. The, the, the writing of the Bible is still miraculous because it was uh, led by the Holy Spirit, right? And what's in there, God wanted in there. But it was m- much more human than we like to think because yeah. we, we view that as kind of scandalous. Like uh, Paul was writing a letter to his friends and it would be like me, like we don't write handwritten letters really anymore. But you're but, sending a concerning email to the elders board yeah, of an but, issue that came up. Let's say Creekside, right? Sure. It would be like, you know, we as a church helped plant Creekside. And it would be like me writing a letter to Creekside. And I, again, I'm not comparing myself to Paul, obviously. But this kind of idea of like, oh, there's some issues going on in the church there. Like, I'm just going to write this letter to, to help him out because... Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't think Paul sat down going, you know, there was one uh, person that I read that they, so he was asked the question, did Paul think that he was finishing the canon of Scripture? Did you did Paul think that he was writing Scripture? And the guy was like, oh, well, on one hand, yeah, because on some of the things he says in First Thessalonians, he says, you're not receiving our words as human words, but a, of words of God. Mm-hmm. So on one hand, Paul knew like, hey, my, these, these words, words have authority. Carry authority. Yeah. So he had an awareness of it, um, but he uh, the question, did Paul think he was writing a letter that would end up in my Bible? And the answer was, he didn't have that category in his brain. Yeah. No. Paul didn't think that one day 66 books would be you know, Cause, yeah, bound isn't, together. Isn't a, a book, like book technology like what we have, isn't that only from like the 1500s yeah, or something? Yeah, the first bound version, I have some notes here that I from the class that we taught yeah. how to read the Bible. But the first bound version of the Bible called the Codex was somewhere in the second or third century AD. Yeah. So like 300, well, two to 250 years. Long after Paul. Yeah. So I don't think Paul writing Thessalonians was like, one day this is going to be one of the 27 New Testament books. Mm -hmm. It's like he had no concept. He knew that my words carry authority. That's why I can say like, stop doing this. Make sure you do this. Yeah. But for him to go like, hey, Paul, you're writing a book of the Bible. He'd be like, what? Mm -hmm. That, that, concept didn't exist in the early church it was uh paul and peter they're offering divine guidance they've been commissioned by jesus they have authority to do this and then it was after all the apostles had died that it was kind of like oh we should actually like collect all of these writings yeah and because these are the words of god to us and the 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 process used of course was this kind of like apostolic source foundation like actually determining for these letters how close was that author to actually jesus and then yeah um, as they died this concept of a one bishop rule came into effect essentially to rule the church and that's that how is the lineage closely connected to jesus christ as closely as possible and that's where paul actually references and i can't remember which letter like you know and i saw him too like and i and i was yeah. with him also almost giving that apostolic authority to write scripture because i was witness to the risen christ or to to jesus teachings prior to his uh, death on the cross so once this collection that spanned these 200 years say um was 
yeah, brought together. Um, there was so many letters that were not, that didn't quite meet that threshold that could still be considered edifying and glorifying yep. to God, that could uplift the church, yeah, that yeah. could benefit. Um, I don't remember if it was just before we jumped on or afterwards, but Corinthians is a good example of um, reference to other letters. And then actually yeah. uh, after the, the canon was, well, as the canon was coming together, there was a third Corinthians wrote and it didn't quite meet the biblical the the canon threshold to be added to scripture. Yeah. But it was likely very edifying and actually quite helpful and, yeah. and built up the church, but just didn't quite meet that apostolic foundation source back to Jesus himself. And yeah. It's interesting I asked uh, one professor or it was opened up like you know the end of our bible John slips in at some point or or however that happened like you know do not add. Mm-hmm. And uh, someone asked this pro- this Greek professor, uh, what if in the um, Dead Sea Scrolls that they found something new, would it be added to canon? And the canon's actually been attempted to be opened a couple times in the last couple hundred years. Actually, mm-hmm. most recently, about 50 years ago, I believe, that they found a letter. Right. And they had tried to add it, and it just, again, didn't quite meet the threshold. Uh-huh. But he's like, theoretically... If a tomb's opened in the Middle East today and a letter is found that can be sourced to Paul, then the canon would have to consider hmm. adding it, despite John's little reference to we shall not add more. Because John is not considering the totality of all scripture as he's right. writing that. So is that reference to his personal letter, his personal ministry? Yeah. Not realizing all of the other collection of letters that are being mm-hmm. written that will eventually become the Bible? Yeah. That is like, difficult for some folks to wrestle with because it's almost heretical like oh we can't ever talk like because we really take at face value statements like what john makes in his final letter there to not add we don't we really struggle to look at the full picture we just see that one point and so then we can't move on from that um yeah i think some of it too with with having a hard time with some of these things is that we we look at scripture as like a play-by-play narration of what was going on like someone was following around the characters of scripture just writing out what they're doing uh because whether it's the way yeah, our media is portrayed yesterday like yeah. jesus preaching the sermon <clears throat> on the mount that matthew's like whoa whoa whoa, whoa slow down yeah, yeah. transcribing I'm eh? trying to like yeah i'm trying to copy all this yeah yeah <laughs> oh, oh. And so we we forget facts like even Genesis was probably only written after the uh, Israelites went out of Egypt. Right. There's a ton of history that happened before that 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 is recorded from memory and oral tradition then. And and so then obviously the New Testament is slightly different because we have letters and homilies and whatnot. But to to do that, to, to put scripture into the box of like that, it's a documentary that people are doing this as they're writing it down it shifts how you have to view uh, scripture then. So, yeah. And I think too, like, so we're kind of leaning into the, the human side of things, but still acknowledging that the Holy spirit guided this whole process. I believe. Absolutely. So that's why I think, um, the books that we have in the Bible, uh, are there because humans in the first few centuries were like, yeah, these ones meet the criteria, but also because God's like, here's what I want in the Bible. Right. So I I think it's holding this intention where it's like, you know, did God write this? Yep. But did humans write it? Yep. It's, it's both. Right. And, um, you know, all of the, the letters and books in our new Testament were written, you know, within 50 to 60 years after Jesus actually lived. Yeah. 
Um, I think Revelation is the last one that was actually written, and there's debate about it, but at the most, it would be around 90 mm-hmm. AD, so 60 years after, mm-hmm. give or take, Jesus. Um, but then, yeah, it took a lot longer, like hundreds mm-hmm. of years for the church to go, you know, these ones are in, these ones are out. And even I'm reading my notes here, like, at, so Revelation is the last one written that are that's in our bibles but then you have the shepherd of hermas which was written after that you have the um, didache which is like a bunch of helpful rules and things like that for the early church here's how we do things here's how we structure things you have the letters of ignatius and clement that are written mm-hmm. afterwards yeah that aren't in the bible but yeah. like you said they're like oh, super interesting that's mm-hmm. super helpful yeah. um well, even you have the deuterocanonical books that were written during the second temple yeah, period, right? Yeah. That were a part of the canon for the yeah. first few hundred years. Yeah. Like, so the actual church considered that authoritative scripture. Yeah. So, good question, and maybe different topic. Was <laughs> that not God-inspired, Holy Spirit-inspired addition to the Bible until for the first few hundred years? Or was the Bible a mistake for the first few hundred years with human error? That's an interesting... Mm-hmm. And it's not super helpful, and we again we want to caution that these are just it's just a space to present thought and ideas. Yeah. But I think it all, like you just said, feeds to the miraculous nature of Scripture yeah. and how that it, is. it transcends time. I think we do a disservice to the Bible, and I've said it time and time again, where we actually deduce it down to just what the black and white says, because we give no credit or weight to translator bias and just natural. Yeah people and how they they read um, and interpret the original Greek and I think it's so enriching if you have an opportunity to kind of I don't know some baseline study into just the even the New Testament and how it's designed and how you know you might chuckle to learn that it's a little non-miraculous even how the order of books and how they're put together uh you know, yeah. kind of the guys throwing their hands up. Yeah, I don't know. Longest to shortest? <laughs> longest to shortest. Let's uh, let's do longest to shortest. Uh, Hebrews, where do we stick that? Uh, <laughs> let's just stick that kind of here. Like yeah, there's no yeah. rhyme or reason per se oh. other than just natural. Yeah. Even, even yeah. for the Old Testament that we have in our Bibles in front of us, uh, we don't have an answer as to why the books are placed in the order that they are specifically. There's certain ones like uh, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. I mean, that was the same way in... Uh, yeah. the Tanakh, which is the, the Jewish Bible, which is just the Old Testament. But if you look at the Tanakh and you look at our Bible, you'll have the same books, but they're actually placed in different order. Yeah. But we don't know why ours is placed like that. There's no record that says, and so we placed them in this way so that this happened. Well, I thought it was just categories. There here's, is. Here's there, the law. Here's history. Here's wisdom. Here's the prophets. Yeah, there is categories like that. But as to why which book is placed where in those categories is what I mean. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think, too, like, just to know that for our New Testaments, especially, like, over time, in a very decentralized way, this whole movement of Jesus followers, they came to consensus on the 27 books we have in our New Testament. I think we Mm -hmm. have, like you said, this idea that there was, like, a secret council. Some actually think it was the Council of Nicaea, Mm. that the New Testament was formed by Constantine in the 320s AD at Nicaea. And actually, if you read just plain history... The Council of Nicaea, they weren't deciding which books were in the Bible at all. They were deciding about the nature and person of Jesus. How is Jesus fully God and fully man? That's what the Council of Nicaea was. And they they were saying, here's books that are helpful in the New Testament. Yeah. But n- they didn't decide. Here are the books that are in or out. It was actually like, 
I hate this word because it sounds so hippie. It was more of like an organic process that mm-hmm. took place that yeah. over time, these 27 were like, yep, these are it. This yeah. is the New Testament canon. And yeah. um, then other ones just died out. Like the Gospel of Thomas, hugely popular when it was written. And it just, they, they didn't have to have a council going, Her- heresy. It just died out mm-hmm. because the the Jesus movement said, well, this is clearly a, a fraud. Yeah. And in the Gospel of Thomas, things that Jesus says and does contradicts everything he says in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So we know that it's not real. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of died out. Yeah. Right? So I think mm-hmm. it's, um, oh, and you said it, Cam, like it actually makes how we got our Bibles uh, much more miraculous mm-hmm. when you see the human and the divine kind of working together. Um, even, you know, we've over the years, if you have the view that the Bible floated down from heaven, then all of a sudden, if there's like, <gasps> if there's a, a mistake, God forbid we say there's a mistake. If there's a spelling error, mm-hmm. then everyone loses their mind. It's not the Bible anymore. It's mm-hmm. not inspired. When I love that we actually just have the handwritten notes, right? You read John 8. And in all the manus in, in your Bibles, it'll say most manuscripts don't have this. Right. It's not scandalous, right? Yeah. Like, and I remember um, preaching in uh, John at the 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 healing at the pool of Siloam, right? And yeah. the angels come, and and right in our Bibles it says, "Yeah, most likely this is not this was added." Yeah. And I remember someone wrote me a note saying, "What else are you going to delete from the Bible?" Because that's that's sure. the view, right? Even like the the whole ending of the Gospel of Mark, and they'll pick up serpents and they'll drink poison. Right in your Bibles, it'll say, "Yeah, this is most likely added later." Right. And don't base your theology off this. But we'll just put it in because some manuscripts have it. I actually love that. Yeah. There's no, mm-hmm. you know, and so skeptics of the Bible will say, "See, there's errors." You go, uh, "Yeah, we put it right in there that it's most manuscripts mm-hmm. don't have this." Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think it it also then raises a question of what are manuscripts, right? Because I mean, most most people, not everyone, but most people are familiar with uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls and what they are. But to to remind yourself that those Dead Sea Scrolls are not the first time that those books were written; those are transcripts of other uh, of other transcripts, right? Like. They they are not the original, original, original copy. And so actually, if you look online, it's actually really cool because technology, we can do this. If you go and look online for the Dead Sea Scrolls, you can find websites that have full 3D scans of the scrolls. And you can actually like look through and, and see the, the Hebrew written out. Uh, and it's quite interesting because as they come to the end of their, their uh, piece of paper or whatever, parchment or whatever you want to call it, um, you can actually see places where really humanly, oh shoot, I miswrote that word. And they'll like scratch it out and then keep writing. Mm-hmm. Or, or they'll run out of room on their piece of paper. And so they do what a fifth grader would do and just write vertically to finish their sentence. And then they change lines. Yeah. Like to us, I think because we've had such a cookie cutter Bible for so long, we don't like it's mechanicalized by the printing press. We don't realize how human it actually is. And it's frustrating. Sorry, it's frustrating for some, but I have a conversation back and forth with one person so often who gets so frustrated that how come it just can't be literal? Yeah. And I'm like, well, you might be looking at it in a challenging way because this this original collection of letters was not designed for you to take home, sit in your closet and have a full understanding by yourself. And we've made Christianity this individualized 
religion where someone thinks right now that they can take the Bible home and have a full understanding of its context in, re- <coughs> yeah. in relation to righteous living and sanctification, which yeah. I always push back saying, you cannot be a Christian by yourself. I don't believe you can take your Bible home and sit by yourself in a room and experience the fullness of life in Christ in that way. I know that will bother some folks for those who are thinking right now of the lonely shut-in or the person experiencing Christ by themselves. There are, that happens, but that's why I was, I'll emphasize the fullness of life in Christ in relation to um, the process of sanctification just by reading the Bible without any kind of supporting like uh, documents or, or helpful or community of believers that you can go around a room and say, how do I hash this out for myself? Because you'll not see an example of the Bible used differently in the Bible, which is kind of funny. Yeah. And I sat with a young man who was really troubled um, about his level of time spent reading the Bible because he's super convicted that he's not getting close to Jesus because he's not reading the Bible. And it's a good thought or a good point for someone to be on that I need to engage more with scripture yes mm-hmm. 100% but I kind of we're friends so I was able to poke a bit where in the Bible do you see someone struggling with the amount of time they're reading the Bible or which mm. you know which letter in response do you see someone really weighing down on being close to God by reading text it's there but I think we're missing some of the meaning because actually Christ all of his directives are like come do be a part of give to the poor and it's funny that we don't sit in our bedroom saying god i want to be closer to you so i'm going to go serve at the food bank Mm. like we want to read about him instead of doing what he instructed us to do and i think that's where we've made our bible a little bit of an idol because we've allowed it to replace christian Mm -hmm. living i think uh with you talking about literal this is a topic we should talk about another time but i'm putting it on the record so that we remember to (laughs) do it hopefully or people will like call us out on it uh i was talking with somebody uh not that long ago uh, and I actually think some of it comes down to our understanding and usage of the word literal, um, like, and how we would like someone to say, well, can't, how can you not believe the Bible's literal or whatever? And we, we here would say, yeah, we believe it's literal, but mean potentially different things. That's a topic we should cover on another day. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. cause it is part of this topic as well, but I think it will be a rabbit trail that'll pull us away from what we're trying to focus on. Yeah. So I think like bottom line is, is what we're not saying is, you know, the Bible is not the word of God and there's errors in it and blah, 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 blah. Um, some people, when they are confronted with just the reality of how the Bible came to be, it does rock their world. And they're like, yeah. what? Then it's not true. And it's like, no, it, it's actually quite amazing how God guided this whole process of the Old Testament and the New Testament to the Bible we have today and that it's complete. It's it's uh, it's what he wants to tell us, right? But it's anytime you open the Bible, it's like remembering. Okay, the Bible is not written to us, right? It's not, but it's for us today, right? We can be edified and we grow in our understanding of who God is, and we're convicted by it. But yeah, like the letter of First Corinthians is not written to you. It's not like, yeah. and we go, well, what? Yes, it is. And it's, mm-hmm. No, it's not. It was written to a church in Corinth around 50 AD and you can learn stuff from it. It's for you. It's for your growth, but it's it's not not about you. It's not to you. Yeah. And it actually, it like crazy changes what you get out of the Bible when you actually 
view it the way it's supposed to be viewed, I think. Um, and I don't find that scandalous and it doesn't like lose its authority when you see the humanness. It mm -hmm. actually makes it way so, more miraculous that we have it. Yeah, and that segues into the part two of like, well, what if Paul wasn't the actually the one to pen the letter? And through this process of verification and authority foundation through this apostolic form, it was determined that even if Paul's hand wasn't on it, that the letter follows his teaching style, his theology, so to speak. Uh, mm -hmm. This could be scribed by someone that worked for him. These folks could have been Pharisees, dare I say. And you have to just look at who's able to write, who's able to read, who's able to teach, who's able to, to essentially speak on behalf of Paul. Mm -hmm. These are That wouldn't be uneducated farmers that are following the movement. These would be educated individuals who've mm -hmm. had the opportunity and even the money to buy the papyrus and, the, the, and mm -hmm. develop the ink and, and have the time in their vocation to write scripture. And I think that's far more miraculous because we kind of put Pharisees and Sadducees into this box of they're all devil worshipers because they're just staunch Jews that hate Christianity. We forget Paul <laughs> converted. We forget that he likely had influence. We forget that there were Roman centurions and Pharisees ha having conflicts of faith and coming to knowledge of a uh, saving knowledge of yeah. Christ crucified and resurrected. So, how the Bible was even written is quite miraculous in that it would have been, you know, not just Paul, but these folks around him supporting scripture, supporting his work. Um, it, because the, the cost of writing scripture was not cheap. It mm -hmm. wasn't like everyone's carrying around a pad yeah. of paper and a pen yep. document and everything. And all these copies we're finding are literally because there was no copy machine. And if you yeah. want one more of the letters that you're going to send beyond the churches in First Peter, then you're going to have to rewrite it mm -hmm. over and probably and hire over. someone to do it professionally, and likely hire, which were essentially these scribes, which are often Pharisees that would kind of double back on, you know, not only their roles, but there was not an overwhelming abundance of literate and scribe able yeah. individuals who yeah. had time yeah. in their vocation to write scripture. Yeah, and I think yeah, it just adds to the miraculous beauty of how this collection of work came together. Yeah, and then and that. To answer the question about like you know letters, some letters being circulated and some not, I mean, that's just again shows, you know, you read um, Colossians for instance, and Paul says, "I want you to then send this to Laodicea and vice versa." The letter I wrote to them, I want, and some like you know Philemon, Paul's writing to one guy who's like, "Hey, when your slave ran away, when he, and this is a great segue, mm -hmm. your slave ran away, but." When he comes back, like, welcome him back, okay? And you go, why is that in our Bible? It's a letter written to one guy, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you have, uh, you know, first and second Timothy, Paul's writing to a pastor in Ephesus. Yeah. And there's, there's instructions for the church there, but we actually don't have any record that then Timothy passes that letter on to Titus. Hey, read this. It, it was to him, right? Mm -hmm. So then you see the humanness of these books and letters is that some Paul says like pass this on this is good instruction for all the churches and then Corinthians he's like I gotta address this messed up church in Corinth like yeah he do we don't have any record that he's like oh yeah by the way pass this on to Rome now mm -hmm. because Rome would have read it going huh what because mm -hmm. we didn't I have a guy sleeping with his mother-in-law yeah the issues are quite specific to to Corinth and things that were going on there and sure there might have been similar issues but 
Paul doesn't say like pass it on. So I, it's just I think that's amazing. You yeah. see the the humanness, and then Revelation it's to those seven churches, mm-hmm. right? John writes a letter, yeah. and then they they would pass it around to those seven literal churches, right? Mm-hmm. Not metaphorical churches, literal churches. Okay, yeah. now Laodicea gets it, now Ephesus gets it, now Smyrna, now Philadelphia. Yeah. Revelation's a, a fun one because there's a lot of um, sp- scholarly debate, and no, I was going to say speculation. <laughs> 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 sure. Um, but the, the apocalyptic style of that writing was not unfamiliar, and actually there's evidence of many apocalypse letters, but this one was included because of, again, its connection yep. to John yep. and its connection as a disciple of Christ. So his letter, similar to many others in metaphorical terms of the end, um, was accepted by yep. the canon because of John, not necessarily because of the content, dare yep. I say. Yeah, yeah. All right, kind of connected to this, uh, question two, why didn't Paul prohibit slavery? He writes in Philemon advocating for him to treat his slave well, among other places, but he never suggests that slavery be abolished. One might argue that had he, the Western slave trade in the South might have looked different. Uh, but I've heard this brought up, right? The, the Bible endorses slavery. Look how evil Christianity is. Um, so what do, I don't know. What do what do we think about that? Why wouldn't Paul just write in a le- in a letter saying, this "Hey, slavery is bad. Stop doing it. If you're a slave owner, release all your slaves. And if you're a slave, rebel. Try and rebel and and get your freedom or whatever. Like, yep. is God pro slavery? Um, or why wouldn't Paul do that? I mean, I have some thoughts, but you guys first. I like how you. I got to some me. good. One, yeah. I spent a little time in this, but I'll... Yeah. I'll, yeah. Corland, you're an expert on slavery. I'm really not. Uh, I think... Uh, I don't know. Maybe you guys <laughs> will laugh. Up. You know, so yeah. is, it, is, is it really that bad? Uh. The, no. You guys might laugh at it, but I think it's fair to say that, like, in our culture, this is a really sensitive topic for a lot of people. So what we're talking about here, we're trying to look at scripture accurately and, and actually determine why these topics are covered the way that they are uh and so yeah this is a conversation about that we don't mean to specifically hurt anyone kind of thing but hopefully like cameron said it's a space to invite you to to ask questions and stuff like that with us i think that first of all uh um, that's very good he's trying not to get canceled yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, i just want to say yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, the slavery is bad and i have never once endorsed it <laughs> i i think that we Again, in some ways we cover this with the other one. We take our context and what we see and what we've determined with our laws, and we try to place that over Scripture and say, why doesn't it fit? When we forget that Scripture is an ancient thing, and so their worldview was different, how the world operated was different, and all those things. And so they are, like Paul is writing letters to churches in a context, and so... Uh, their context is not one of abolish slavery. Their context is one of treat everyone with the love of Christ, right? In, in our context, it's abolish slavery so that we can treat everyone with the love of Christ. But our, our lens that we view those things is very, very different. Uh, and so Paul is not a social justice warrior in the sense that we have today, but he was a social justice warrior in the sense that he's telling Philemon to like accept your slave back, right? Uh, in other letters, he says, you know, uh, do all as unto the like work as if unto the Lord slaves. I'm paraphrasing, but slaves work mm-hmm. well for your masters. But then he also says, masters treat your slaves. Well, like don't, 
dehumanize mm-hmm. each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we do actually see compared to what would have been popular in, in their context, we see quite a, I hate the word, but quite the, pro, quite a progressive approach to slavery because we're, he's telling the churches and the people in it that if you're a slave work, well, mm-hmm. don't hate your masters, but also masters don't hate your slaves, like treat them well. You're both, if, if you're followers of Christ, you should love each other well, but you're both image bearers of God. So, yeah. you know, treat each other with the respect and dignity that you deserve. Yeah. I think Paul's humanist sticks out in Philemon in a big way. And it's kind of funny because I agree. There's a couple schools of thought that I read and one is essentially give Paul some slack. He's like establishing and presenting this entire new way of thinking this entire new religion that's already getting him beaten, tossed, and, and eventually killed. So one uh, school of thought might argue, my goodness, throw slavery on the mix and he's getting killed even sooner. Like he's standing in front of a mountain presenting all of these new yeah. thoughts and ideas and, and ways of being to folks. But another one in Philemon that's quite interesting is that the individual that he's with in prison, uh, what was his name, Sim- Simeus or something like that? There was there was code that if a slave left, essentially abandoned its owner, that they they could appeal to the to a a friend, a colleague, a business partner of their owner mm. to plead mercy. Uh, essentially, you know, give them a show, be a reference for me. I wasn't slacking off, but it's interesting in prison where Paul actually references uh, this guy was useless before, but he he <laughs> came and found uh, Christ, and now he's useful to us, which is kind of. F- interesting and then yeah. appeals to Philemon that essentially says okay welcome him as you would me because you owe me your life what's yeah. he meaning i presented salvation to you so it's kind of a, yeah. i think it's a bit of a hey i you you yeah. owe me a solid and i'd like for you to redeem it on this individual who's going to come back to you yeah and then paul goes a step further that essentially says like or, or i'll take him <laughs> like uh, you can leave him with me yeah which is quite interesting because it begs the question, is Paul suggesting he then is responsible for this slave relationship? Yeah. But then what you touched on is slavery was entirely different yeah. in that a quor- up to a quarter percent of the Roman world were slaves, but not slaves in the way we viewed on television in the yes. deep south. Yeah. But I think of my brother and sister-in-law who live in Singapore and they employ a woman from Indonesia uh, to live in their home and to serve them and i when i first was presented with that i thought it was really gross um my my own viewpoint was skewed because my mother-in-law lives with us and essentially does the exact same thing which (laughs) you heard it here first folks (laughs) you heard it here first slave owner (laughs) but it's interesting because the relationship with my mother-in-law and with um um i forget the lady's name it's essentially the same they give her an honest uh, livelihood she yeah. is uh, she actually gets a portion of income and in the ancient world they would also they're essentially paying down debts so that slave wouldn't be a slave forever yeah. but this young man Simeus may have skirted on a deal may have through the courts owed Philemon $10,000 and it's like okay well you have to be a slave for nine years to pay off your yep. debt yep. after which you could buy your freedom because yep. I've saved your wages so Far different than we're going to yeah. capture you, yeah. make you an animal, and serve us. There was, of course, of variations, degrees of what those jobs would entail. But some of them, like we see in yeah. throat scripture, were quite sophisticated in their roles as servants. Yeah. 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 It's good to, I'm glad you said that. Like, our view of slavery is like, right, southern plantations. 
and totally based on race. Um, but in the ancient world, it wasn't. It was not a slavery based on race. It was, like you said, like a quarter of the Roman Empire were slaves. It was employment in a lot of well, ways. Well, I, I, I mean, I, and, and I heard well, one guy who was cases. like, you know, we say that, oh, it was different. He's like, it still sucks. Slavery yes. sucks. Yeah. It's awful. And you were viewed less than. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was like master of the house, wife, kids, dog, slaves. Right. Yeah. And if you had a but child. But it wasn't like, yeah. let's get all the black people and make them slaves. Mm -hmm. Right. It wasn't that. It was anyone could become a slave. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Like I owe Corlin $10,000. Well, I can't pay it off. So now I'm going to go into service to him and I'm his slave until I pay it off. And if you have a child while you're under my, yeah, then I get your child. Your but child, yeah. uh, slaves could purchase their freedom. They called it manumission. It was mm -hmm. like you could buy, and now I'm yeah. I'm a freed man again. So slightly different, right? We have to remember that that it's not oh, okay. All of the black people were slaves in the Roman Empire. No, it was completely not race based. And then when you read scripture, you see that actually God's people have a very different view of slavery. Yeah. Than the rest of the world. Now, granted, no nowhere does God outright right in the New Testament. Nowhere is someone like, "Hey, slavery is awful," but there are very revolutionary things that are said that differ from the rest of the world, right? So even in the Old Testament, because I've heard people say, "Well, even the Israelites had slaves," but the idea of buying and selling people and human trafficking was forbidden. In the Old Testament law, Exodus 21, 16, whoever steals a man and sells them and anyone found in possession of him put to death. Like if I stole someone, you're my slave now. And now I sell you both the person that sold the slave and the guy that buys them, kill him. God says like, whoa, that's yeah. Uh, Deuteronomy 24, seven. If a man is found stealing one of his brothers of the people of Israel and treats him as a slave or sells him, that thief shall die. Purge the evil from your midst. So even when they would go and conquer other nations and yeah. slaves they received slaves yeah. right they were treated much differently than the rest of the ancient world and then you get to the new testament and paul writes things like in galatians 3 actually in the kingdom of god there is no slave or free there is no male or female there is no jew or gentile that's like massively revolutionary when he goes actually slave and free equal footing in the kingdom yeah of god and he's also selling that the kingdom is now y yeah he's not selling that in the future, so he's almost leaving it to folks wrestle with that Because there would be slaves and freed people in these churches, yeah. right? Uh, even our passage this week for Sunday, 1 Corinthians 7, Paul's talking about like just living the life that you've led. Did God call you as a slave? He says, were you a slave when called? Don't be concerned about it. Isn't that great? Paul's like, don't worry about it. And then in brackets, but if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. He who was called in the Lord as a slave is free. Likewise, he who is free when called is a slave. So he basically says this hierarchy of slaved and free doesn't exist in the kingdom, right? Yeah. So Paul does say some uh, insanely revolutionary things. Yeah. So then I'm a freed man and Corlin's a slave, for example, and we go to church together. I'm not allowed to treat Corlin like a slave. Mm -hmm. You're my brother. You're, we're both free in Jesus and yeah. we're both slaves of Jesus. And that changes our interaction, right? Um and yet Paul never, he didn't, he wasn't trying to start a social revolution. Mm -hmm. He didn't, he never said, let's uprise and defeat slavery. But over that the was James, James actually in his social gospel, essentially yeah, was yeah. saying like the poor shall not be shunned because even in the Lord's yeah. supper and different things, slaves would go last or the poor would yeah. go last because they were working all day and the rich would be there to get the first fruits. And 
he he's the one that more flipped that on its head yeah. saying no no reminding we're equal in this space we're equal in this life and yeah. so everyone should have the opportunity and then to you eat. think of who who are the people that abolished the slave trade in england it was christians who finally now there were christians granted yes that, <laughs> yes that twisted scripture and were like it's okay to own slaves they're less than we are but it was christian men who finally stood up and were like this is wrong and they were the ones who were on the front lines of abolishing slavery in Europe. So you got it like throughout scripture, you see God's view. And yet um, in the New Testament, it's not front and center as like, okay, Christianity, what's our number one thing? We're going to abolish slavery. It's like, no, mm-hmm. we're going to preach about the kingdom of God. And look, there's these little hints that you go, okay, yeah, there is no slave or free anymore. We're one in Christ. And that changes how I treat people uh, in service to me as a master. That changes how I view my life if I'm a slave. Like in Ephesians mm. 5, he says, yeah. or 6, slaves work hard for your masters because you're working for Jesus. That would totally, I mean, that's revolutionary, right? So mm. the Bible does not promote, you know, in air quotes, slavery as like, it's a great thing. Uh, and especially our Western view of slavery didn't really exist in the New Testament. So. Any other thoughts? Because I have one one more question that I was going to oh, yeah. throw out. Throw it in there. Completely changing gears. Oh, boy. Zip, 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 zip. So Corlin came into my office yesterday and said, have you seen Beauty and the Beaster? Oh, my days. That's <laughs> not a, oh, and why I, are we covering that question? Because <laughs> I, here's, here's my question, though. So if you didn't know, like there's a church in Winnipeg that does these huge productions. Church on the Rock. Huge <laughs> productions every Easter. <laughs> That's... <laughs> So if they did like an Avengers themed Easter play where they crucified Tony Stark yeah, last year, Iron Man, or a couple of years ago, crucified I'm not sure. or whatever, and then this year was Beauty and the Beaster, which was like a full production of Beauty and the Beast, but Belle dies in the end. She's crucified for. The only funny part about that Avengers one is as they're at, it's horrendous. So don't, I'm not saying it's funny that they did it with uh, Iron Man, but as he's hanging there, he's singing, I get knocked down, but I get up again. Okay. Never get, I was like, oh my goodness, like so, how horrible. And, and then if you follow, you know, Christian world stuff, anyways, uh, Michael Todd, Transformation Church, did oh this goodness. huge Easter production where, yep. you know, it's very demonic and red and he's being crucified and. So my question, not to just make fun of it and go, it's blasphemous, that's awful, and it's so cheesy. Is there a place for Christians to do these big productions to tell the gospel story? Does it work in our day and age? And is it useful? Is it a distraction? Because, I mean, I laughed because I'm watching this YouTube video of Beauty and the Beaster, and Bell, first of all, I'm like, this is so cringe. If someone invited to me to this, I wouldn't go. Yeah. But the first comment is like, hallelujah, praise hands. Like, this is so incredible. So I don't know. Like, how do you, how do you guys feel about, do we need to do these massive Easter productions to reenact the crucifixion? And it, is it useful? Is it helpful? Is it blasphemous? Like, <laughs> I will say I've been to one that i can remember that i felt moved by yeah and because it was um a church group not in the sanctuary on sunday morning but they did their hillside reenactment and and it was like as close to the biblical narrative as possible so it was no it was what it was and you were invited to go and participate and it's like you know the 
sessions of the cross or so you walk yes, the stations of the, the cross. stations yeah. of the cross behind these reenactment actors and i, I thought that's kind of cool right it just puts you into a place but i think that's starkly different than a beauty and the beast reenactment where bell is now the risen christ like i find that the most ridiculous blasphemous waste of time energy and money yeah, yeah. um a yeah. disservice to the Christian faith, a disservice to the church, yeah. and a horrible use of re- use of all human resources to put on. <laughs> like, I just w- went because yeah. this is my hometown, and I've heard of this place. I don't recognize the pastor, but you know, they like to put a creative spin on the gospel. It's like, my goodness, you're not doing Jesus a favor. Um, yeah, and I think that's what's beautiful about the reenactments that are natural. It's like, yeah, wow, I can only imagine that this is a small portion of what it must have been like to watch yep. your hero walk past you beaten, broken, going to yeah. die. Yeah. So Yeah, I think there's ways uh, to like tastefully do it. There's a place in the States and it's like an outdoor amphitheater. I can't remember the name of it, but every year they do like the passion play and yeah. it's outside and and I've I know people that have gone and they said Every year they murder a criminal. Uh, yeah, it's real. It's for <laughs> real. No. But they're like Texas. They just basically take the gospels and act it out and the, and it, and they said it's it is it, it can be very moving like i've seen well, it's no different than going to the passion of the christ in the movie yeah. theater that's all it is is a production yeah but i think uh there's times when it can be like the artistic side of things can be helpful right yeah. the stations of the cross i remember there was a church that i was at that they were preaching through it was like this little church and they were preaching through matthew and the gospel uh, or um the sermon on the mount and when they finished it that sunday in the field behind the church, there was like a little bit of a, a hill, like a, not a mountain. But the next Sunday, the pastor was like, for the sermon time, let's all go out to this hill and someone's going to just sit on the hill and read the Sermon on the Mount and you're going to sit. And perhaps that's kind of what it was like. And it was actually really, it was neat. Yeah. It was like, a, oh, I, this is this is probably how the first hearers heard it. Said, where's hey, my lunch? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I think there's a very big difference in doing something like yes. that compared to a production like Beauty and the Beast or, mm-hmm. or the Avengers one. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, yeah, like you've said, Cameron, blasphemy. Like if you're going to crucify Belle and, and like she in the play, she says, today you'll be with me in paradise <laughs> yeah, and so then bad. turns to the other guy and is like, I'm not so sure about to you. Lumiere, <laughs> the candlestick. Yeah. <laughs> like it's, it's horrendous. Uh, and so I actually, when I when I found out that this happened, I actually went to my mother, who is working at yeah. the church here, and she like she does the Christmas plays here. She does if there's Easter stuff, she does that with the kids. Like she does those performances. And I went to her and I was like, "Look, I know you like your illustrations. I know you like your your object lessons and all that, but please never go this far." <laughs> and so I, yeah, as we're talking about this, and I then did she like crumple up her big idea for you. <laughs> Thanks no. a lot. No. Throws the idea whiteboard off the wall. Yeah. <laughs> My back but to the future like in our, Easter production. <laughs> in our Christmas plays, oftentimes we're following a story that also tells the story yeah, totally. that is in scripture. So so she said a, a play on my desk after the conversation was like, I want you to read through this and make sure, right? And fair enough, but she uh 
you know, we'll have a story following some students or something like that. And, and the students will act non-Christians who then hear the story of Jesus being born and what he came to do. And I think that's very different to I do agree. a performance, even if it was done incredibly, like with a huge budget. And even if we rented sure. out the cultural center and blah, 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 and made it open to everyone, there's a huge difference between showing a story of someone learning of Jesus yeah. than there is trying to put Jesus on the stories that we have already. And yeah. the, those were adults speaking to adults. And so I do think there's a place for children's ministry and because uh, really that is an opportunity for a young person to develop in their idea. And so to give them a picture of what yeah. we've been talking about is good. Um, I'm not a visual learner, so I actually don't even like uh, movies or like I, I can appreciate that there's some good ones and Tatiana and I have even said she said oh we should watch this episode and it's just not interesting to me because I I know the story but <laughs> I love how the evangelical Christian church flogged to the theaters for Noah and the movie was actually really blasphemous yeah. and yeah. not Christian yeah. at all yeah. so they Dude, all Russell Crowe's in it <laughs> yes. he's a Christian now Hollywood's becoming Christian I yeah know. and it, it was, was like, like the oh most oh boy and <laughs> After seeing those reviews, I was excited to watch it for that single <laughs> purpose of like, that's what you get. Sorry, Mel Gibson did it once. <laughs> Don't go back. Yeah. Good. Um, but yeah, that was a movie, of course, that was just weird and took a lot of dark turns. And uh -huh. there was so much assumption added to the story and just grossness. Yeah. So yeah, I think yeah. there's a place for artistic interpretation. Yeah, there's a place for art and media to help. But I'm like... Like I was, I've, I've actually thought about this since you showed me because I'm like, man, I don't know. It really bothered me. But then it was like, okay, if, if our church was doing Beauty and the Beast for Easter, I'm like, would I actually invite my lost friends? To, I, would be, I wouldn't. I would be embarrassed. Yeah. And, I, and I'm like, okay, put myself, okay, I'm not a, I'm not a Christian. And someone came to me and said, hey, on, on Easter, do you want to come to church with me? I would go, oh, interesting. My church is doing Beauty and the Beast. I would be like, what? Uh, no thanks. Like, it's just, it just seems so forced and so weird that I'm like, guys, it's not, oh, yeah, okay, what are we going to do next year? Oh, uh, the Super Mario Brothers is pretty big. Let's do where, like, uh, Luigi. <laughs> Bowser gets, becomes. Yeah, and Luigi gets crucified. I'm like, guys, stop. <laughs> yeah. Because one, I think. The culture would look at that and go, that is so cheesy. Why would I waste my time yeah. going to that? And yet, like if your church does a, a play or like a, a, a reenactment of parts of the gospel, I don't think there's like that's sinful. I think what's, yeah, to crucify uh, Bell <laughs> is a little blasphemous. And I think, and it's a waste of time. Because I think the the I laughed at them as I watched the video. I didn't go, oh wow, that's very powerful. I w I just went, this is so stupid, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So there's that line that like, yes, artistic interpretation is good and it's helpful. That's why we decorate our stage because for some people and it's like, oh, that helps move yeah. me. And like you've said, in in pretty much any story in our culture, you will see elements that we that we see in scripture because it's a yeah, story totally. where good wins yep. over evil so you will see stuff like that but it's it's yeah and so yeah you know tony stark lays down his life at the end of that one marvel movie and you go oh interesting yeah that moves me because jesus yeah. did that but then to go you know what we should do <laughs> <laughs> we should actually crucify tony stark on easter i'm like oh my gosh it's just not helpful. So, so there's going to be another Marvel movie? Or yeah, yeah. Is so he back? <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. 
So anyways, I just thought I'd throw that out there because it's been yeah. just swirling around in my brain, like the use of media and art to tell the gospel. Because I heard some Christians are like, nope, just read it from the Bible. I'm like, yeah. okay, well, I don't yeah. think that's necessarily the answer. And I think, not to stretch it out too long, but I can think of some, um, the differences in, in that, and I almost attribute it to like, the West having such a diluted culture base that we don't have anything to attribute these stories to where parables were parables were attributed to a, a way of living. Even some deep cultures have ways that they take the Jesus story and attribute it to like what makes sense in their world. Mm-hmm. And we're so lost and depraved that we can, we have beauty and the beast. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have any kind of cultural normative story that could say, this is like what happened uh, when Christ was crucified. Yeah. Something you're dealing with today. <laughs> beauty yeah, Iron Man. Yeah. Anyways, this has been episode 110, and uh, thanks for tuning in. Hopefully, that's been helpful and interesting. And if you do have uh, questions that come up or things you want us to talk about, please send them to us. And again, today's uh, episode has been brought to you by Trinity North Plumbing and Heating for all your gasket needs. Gasket. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Tyler. Thanks, Tyler. We'll talk to you next week.